Good morning. It's always a delight on a Sunday morning to see people who got up, put their Bible in a handy place, got in their car, and arrived here to worship God and engage in a study of His Word. In the book of Psalms, we're going to be in chapter 63. I'll be reading Psalm 63 from the English Standard Version, a psalm of David apparently expressing the emotion and distress of his heart during the time he was a fugitive, sought by his enemies, though not in complete despair because of his trust in God. After prayer, I'll be reading from the 63rd Psalm. Heavenly Father, may these studies enrich and nourish us and equip us to rejoice in our obedience to Christ and the good eternal outcome we anticipate and we have been assured of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power in glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I love to teach and preach from the Psalms. And preachers and teachers I know share that interest. Why do we love these passages in the Bible so much? I think one reason is they honestly express emotions we have often identified with. I do not believe it possible for any of us to read through the book of Psalms and not discover almost in every chapter and on every page an emotion that we identify with or a statement of trust that we have long embraced or an expression of assurance and hope that we live by day by day or an expression that we know God's justice will eventually prevail 
That's our conviction as it was David's. There is so much packed in the book of Psalms that we identify with on an emotional level, but also in many other ways. When David was depressed, when he was troubled, when he was rejoicing or just thinking about his God, he wrote these songs inspired by the Holy Spirit for himself and for those around him who might have had audience to these psalms, and certainly for our contemplation and study today. David wrote this one <coughs> during the time, as best as we can determine from chronological structure. He wrote this one during the time he was being pursued, probably during the revolt of Absalom. Who was Absalom to David, his son. So you have not only a revolt, you have a revolt very close to home, Absalom. Verse 9 indicates there were those who sought David's life to destroy him. Verses 10 and 11 show David knew that his enemies would be defeated and that he would be delivered. So he knew that in God taking care of him, his son would be defeated. But while living out on the run from his enemies in a dry and thirsty land, though he was hurting, he hung on to his confidence in God. King David was in a very inhospitable environment with disastrous circumstances beyond his control when he composed Psalm 63. His son, Prince Absalom, instigated a revolt against him. You can read about this back in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and 2 Samuel chapter 17. Vague references to it in other places where David was on the run being chased by revolt led by his son. Now, that's the context, that's the historical scene. What do you do when you're hurting at this level? How do you get through difficult days? What thoughts do you entertain that seem to lift you up from the low places? You are on the run. You're a fugitive. And the one who instigated the revolt is Absalom, your son. David's response to this suffering and this grief was to think of his God. And to think of his God in many different ways and to write it out poetically and contemplate it. And you'll quickly discover in these passages <coughs> that David addresses himself to God. That's the, that's the format of these poems. They're written in the format of prayer. David is not just writing for his own benefit or for the benefit of those who might be audience to him. He's speaking to God. That's the format of many of these psalms. And what is David doing here? He is not simply repeating words in some sort of legalistic uh, ritual, words that he learned when he was a boy to pray, and he just repeats those words, though he might be doing something else. David is 
talking to God. The power David is accessing is the highest power anyone can access, the Creator. The power does not lie in David's eloquence, vocabulary, or passion, though it seems all those elements were present in David. I think David was eloquent. He had a good vocabulary in Hebrew, and he was passionate But the power that he was relying on when he composed these and said these and sung these was the highest power there has ever been and will ever be God. Now, I'm going to drop in a takeaway right here. In a lot of these studies in Psalms, I'm going to embed the takeaways. (coughs) A point of personal inquiry that ought to come up when you read the 63rd Psalm and many others like it, is this. Do I talk to God like this? Now, not exactly like this. That would be just a repetition. And not in exactly the same circumstance, because we do not have people chasing us in the same sense that David lived that fugitive life. But do we pour out our hearts to God? Do we talk to God? Now, I know we talk to our friends. I do. Sometimes we talk to our friends for hours and we find some relief in expressing our emotions to people who care. Uh, I talk to my wife and she talks to me. I have good friends and, and uh, siblings and trusted Christians. We can talk for hours at a time about what's troubling us to people. Do we do that to God? That's one question that ought to arise in the course of the study of the 63rd Psalm and many other Psalms. Prayer has the power to rekindle our faith when accompanied by good obedience. Prayer is that which can help us out of a slump when it's based on our commitment to God otherwise. Prayer has the ability to invigorate our obedience. Obedience that's already there, but needs to be amped up some. Prayer has the power to help us overcome evil. Prayer enables us to seek forgiveness of sin when we are penitent. Prayer enables us to ask for help (coughs) when we're facing some challenge that is not altogether known in detail. And that's why we love the Psalms, if I can get back to where I started. We love to read the Psalms because there are elements in the Psalms that we identify with. And one thing you can do, I think, that will help you through the study of Psalms and may help you otherwise. And it sounds odd at first, but... Think about it. Write your own psalm. Not to turn in, to have anybody grade, not to be circulated or published, but just for yourself. I had a friend who taught Bible in a college down in Florida for many years, and he taught the psalms one semester. And he would tell the students to write a psalm. When students came in the first of the semester... He would say, all right, take pencil and paper out and write a psalm. 
and you could just see him struggling. I don't know how to do this. Hebrew poetry evades me, and I. <clears throat> then at the end of the semester, <clears throat> he had them write out a psalm, and he could see when they wrote the psalm. The end of the semester, they were moved by every word. It's a good idea. Write a psalm. Think about talking to God and what you would say and write a psalm. Well, I've given you some takeaways already, but there are three things I want to point out now about the 63rd Psalm. Three things, and then I'll have some supplemental information should time allow. Number one, in this and other psalms like it, need is recognized. Need is recognized. Look at the very top of it. My soul thirsts for you, and my body longs for you, or my flesh faints for you. It's somebody in need. Soul and body, that's the total person. That's one's life. Comprehended in the combination of soul and body. This need is depicted in verse 5 as the satisfaction of hunger. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Here's a man who has need felt deep in his soul, felt in his body, and he knows where to have that need satisfied. It's in his trust in God. This is need recognized. And David said to his God down in verse 7, You have been my help. You have met my needs. This is need recognized. In these times of prayer and worship, David had this passionate awareness of his need. Takeaway. <coughs> we can never learn to pray like David until we see ourselves as needy before God. This awareness of our need is not only a prerequisite to prayer, it is the emotional motivation to pray in the way David prayed. You give up pride and impulsive self-defense, and you just say to yourself, I need God. I can't get along without Him. <clears throat> Knowing that without God you're defeated. Without God you can be overcome by the devil. Without God you cannot really find and keep yourself attached to your purpose as a human being. Without God you have no ground of hope. As human beings... As sinners, we need God. And until we know that personally, prayer will have little meaning. We cannot pray like David until we recognize with David we need God. In Revelation chapter 3, we learn about the Christians in Laodicea. And if you look at Revelation 3.17... Their speech and their boasting expressed their arrogance. They were saying things like this. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Have need of nothing? 
when individuals are not convinced that they need God, they are incapable of genuine obedience and worship and service and prayer such as we are reading in Psalm 63. One of the first steps we must take out of sin to God is to become wholeheartedly acquainted with our need. We need God. This sense of personal need is essential to start serving God, to keep serving God, and to serve God and trust Him in times of incredible difficulty. You always take with you this recognition that you need God. There's no reasoning that away. There's no forgetting of that. No despising or ignoring that truth. We need God. That'll set you on the pathway where you can speak to God as David did in the 63rd Psalm. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, that kind of dependence upon God presupposes that we've acknowledged we need God. I'll talk a little more about that in the sermon later this morning. Questions or comments at this point in our study, the 63rd Psalm. David is on the run trying to maintain his mental well-being. He's trusting in God. Response to God is necessary. When David said in verse 1, Earnestly I seek you. I think this is more than just an emotion. This is more than just eloquent Hebrew words translated into English. <clears throat> if you have the New King James, it says, Early will I seek you. And that word seek, as it is used in the Bible, <clears throat> implies activity, obedience, the pursuit of being filled by God. Seek, earnestly seek, early will I seek you. Um, David's resolution down in verse 4 captures this. I will bless you as long as I live. So the seeking of David, David's seeking of God, was not temporary. He intended it to be a way of life. So this is the activity of response to God. Once you recognize you need God, you're not finished there. The next level is to respond to Him, to earnestly seek Him. That's always going to involve Obedience, the commitment of one's life to the Lord. In verse 6, David is remembering God and thinking of God through the dark hours of night. I'll have more to say about that later. In verse 7, David is singing. In verse 11, he is rejoicing in God and praising Him. Response to God is necessary. Seeking, obeying, worshiping. Takeaway. In our culture today, many seek the easiest kind of religious practice they can find, or if they can't find, invent. People want to claim God's blessing 
but without any commitment to respond to God's word. People want to engage in religious talk and give off the impression that they are close to God, but in their walk in life, God is absent. David sought God with heart and life. He not only recognized need, he responded to God. Responding to God in His Word is essential. If you recognize your need, you fill that need by doing what God says and becoming closer to Him. <coughs> and so in the book of Acts, for example, the gospel was preached. And as the gospel was preached, people recognized that they had need. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, you remember, as people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they said, what shall we do? Now that does two things. It shows recognition of need. I need to do something. And it shows that a response was necessary. The jailer in Philippi said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew there needed to be an active response. He knew faith would need to find expression in obedience, in commitment of heart and life. Uh, back to Acts chapter 2, the case of conversion, Peter answered, repent and be baptized. What I'm highlighting is, there is the danger of wanting God to meet our emotional needs and going to Him with tears when we're troubled, but then not following through with the response to Him. So, Psalm 63 speaks of need recognized, <coughs> but then action that comes out of that. A response to God. We have not really learned to receive fully from God's abundance until we make our commitment to Him. To surrender to His will, to obey His commandments. It says in Hebrews 5, 9, Christ is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. There's the seeking part. Obey Him. So we observe in the 63rd Psalm, David in time of trouble, hanging on to his existence and surviving by recognizing his need of God and by acting on that need, seeking earnestly God. Questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Back in Deuteronomy, we see that God, uh, it says God's mercy is in the wilderness. He stressed that they keep His commandments because um, His Word was the bread of life. Right. That's the way you survive. If you're in the wilderness, if you're in the sanctuary, wherever you are, if you're in Macallan, the way you survive is to keep your commitments to God. So it wasn't just an academic answer <clears throat> that he was seeking. He wanted to do something to fulfill his need of having salvation in Christ.
I want us to look third at a value statement. A statement where value is affirmed. Your love is better than life. That's in 63.3. Psalm 63 verse 3. Your love is better than life. What a powerful statement that should have impact within us. Your love is better than life, David said to God. To be loved by God... And to respond to that love by seeking Him and praising Him, that's better than life itself. David wrote over and over about the loving kindness of God. If you have some of the older translations, King James, New King James, American Standard, uh, Revised Standard, In some places in the NIV and the ESV, but especially in the older translations, there's that long word, loving kindness. And when you take that word and break it down, looking back to its Hebrew terminology, it's a word that comprehends a number of things that are connected. It comprehends care and mercy and God's capacity to listen to us, the loving kindness of God. The expression takes in God's care, His mercy, His patience with us, His interest in our needs, His knowledge of who we are, His capacity to listen to us and respond to our prayers, the loving kindness of God. To know that to learn that, to be reminded of that as you read his word, then respond to him as he is directed. <coughs> That's better than life itself. Mark eight thirty-five, our Lord said, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If your mind is focused on this life for me now. If your mind is focused on this life for me now. You're not going to be able to surrender to Christ as the gospel requires. There is something greater than my life here now. There's something greater than your life here now. It's what God has given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So value is affirmed. Your love is better than life. So it's not that I embrace my life here now and over here somewhere in the little corner I attach the love of God. The love of God is better than life itself. And recognizing that is a huge step in being a recipient of God's grace. Life must be lost in Him, given to Him, committed to His love, as David so well expressed. I'm going to read the 63rd Psalm, and then I have some other takeaways, some challenges for us about all this. Listen carefully, please. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power in glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Have you ever had this thought? I have. And it's possible that I'm the only one who's ever had this thought, but I kind of doubt it. Have you ever had this thought, I'm not in the mood to pray. Not in the mood to worship. I know people who've said to me, when they did not arrive to assemble with the saints, and I talked to them later, I wasn't in the mood. You ever said to yourself, I'm just not in the mood to pray. My circumstances are not conducive to frame a prayer. This is not the place in my life where I can really focus on God. This may be the one place in your life where you must focus on God. This may be the mood where you absolutely must accept the challenge to talk to God about it. In the case of David, not only in the 63rd Psalm, but all through the Psalms and in the Old Testament record of his life, he was down many, many times, but never at a point where he wasn't in the mood to speak to God. You remember Paul and Silas in the New Testament... You ever think, boy, I'm just not in the mood to sing. (coughs) Paul and Silas were in prison singing praises to God. David is in a dry and weary Judean desert running from his son. When you are down, when things are awful, when it seems like you're surrounded by pain and stress every time you turn around and it just keeps coming That's the time you need to talk to God. Do you want to pray like David? Then set your mind on the things that are above. Talk to God every day during good times and bad times. Turn away from the temptations of the world. Talk to Him about your struggles and your issues and your challenges. Don't just use the same words. Seek Him with a whole heart. Read the Psalms and let these words help you frame your desires to be closer to God. 
the results will accumulate over time and bless you. Questions or comments? Takeaways were somewhat embedded into our study today, but I'll supplement this with some things that I thought about. Didn't know we would have time to cover. I'm intrigued by the phrase, in the watches of the night. Verse 6 deserves some comment. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night. Here's something I think is universal in human living. We are busy all day. We're managing our lives and taking phone calls and driving from here to there and taking care of family and doing things around the house and trying to figure out when we're going to do this job and that job. The daytime is for activity and we're generally very busy people during the day but at night. It is time to pause and think and especially if you can't sleep. I know this is true with me. During the day, I'm working in my office and taking phone calls and preparing sermons and classes and doing all the other things I need to do. <clears throat> and while my work involves God and the Bible, some of it isn't driven by self-examination. It's driven by the need to meet goals and schedules and present material to others. But at night... I'm more inclined to fill my mind with thoughts of me and my relationship with God. More than just a nightly prayer. The Psalms have this strong element connecting us with very common emotions. The quiet darkness of night. If God has been your help in the past and you have stresses and strains against your faith now, be certain that your sleepless nights are not wasted. Read the Psalms. Write your own. Talk to God. The same expression is found, by the way, in Isaiah 26, 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. So, something there in Psalms about nighttime that rang a bell with me. But then, get up the next day, and fulfill your commitments to God early, that's the next word there. In this verse, we also see David's purpose and priority in life. He states, early will I seek you, early in the morning. If you have a good night talking to God, maybe that will supply additional motivation to get up on time and get up with joy that you've got another day to serve God and try to do better couple more. Verses 9 and 10 <coughs> have to do with trusting God for His justice to prevail. We'll talk more about this later in the study of Psalms, but sometimes people get the impression that 
David and others who wrote Psalms wanted to take up arms and take vengeance themselves apart from God. And it's worded in such a way that people get that impression every now and then. That's not it. The tone of the whole psalm is trust in God that God will take care of the enemies. So I interpret verses 9 and 10 in the context or the tone of trusting God. So this is a case where reference is made to God's justice, not human vengeance. When enemies are defeated, verse 11 says, The king rejoices in God, noting all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So this is the exercise of God's justice, not man's vengeance. And we'll come to statements like that many times later in the study of Psalms. What else did I have? Yes, David's able to sing and rejoice in spite of his terrible circumstances. This he could do because he remembered the Lord had helped him in the past. And this he could do because he meditated on God and his ways day by day and in the watches of the night. Our contentment and joy... When we're down in the pit of despair, is based on our knowledge of what Christ did for us to get us out of sin and enable us to go to heaven, and what God does for us still now as He hears from us. We are reminded of the words of the Lord when He said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. There's no stress or strain you're going through now that cancels the reward in heaven for those who rejoice in the Lord and keep His word. Darrell. Good point. Good reference point. Thy will be done. Hang on to that wherever you are in the high places, or in the low places, in the late watch hours of the night, or early the next morning. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study. Wednesday night we'll be in Psalm 107. The next two Sundays I will be out of town meeting and vacation. Darrell and Herb will be taking care of that. But I'll be here Wednesday night in Psalm 107 that has a little different structure than the ones we've studied so far. Thank you.